0: So I finally saw Stalker, by the way.
1: Oh, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. Picking <laughs> up uh, where we last left off. It was one of the films I saw during 2020. I did try to like like usual try to see as many new to me movies than uh, than I watch more than rewatches. And in amongst all of that, I finally caught up with Stalker. And what
1: did you think? What was the verdict?
0: It was like it, w- it was one of the best movies I saw last year of, of all the older <laughs> stuff. It was like that th- that was way up there. It was not what I expected. It's it's very Russian um, <laughs> in that very like cold and antiseptic way. But um, I, I, was, I was thinking about that as I was getting ready to do this because you brought up Stalker when we talked to him on the last podcast yes, and it, yeah. it, 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 fall, it fell right into the basket of me saying, I think I'm done with blind spots and then you went and hit me with one that I still had. <laughs>
1: yeah that's right did you see the uh why i suggested it after seeing annihilation
0: oh totally it it did make me want to watch annihilation one more time but i'm like Mm. okay i'm I'm seeing a lot of the polls here i think actually i watched it too right around the time i was watching devs so it was very kind of folding in on one of like the another alex garland thing so it was uh it was all folding in very neatly on each other in 2020 and then the wheels fell off Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 254 of The Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast of my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. Today's guest reminds me just how much I miss my friends. You see, the last time he was on this show, we were sitting in the lounge at the light box, talking over coffee, seeing familiar faces coming and going. Around the same time, he started coming out to our monthly movie nerd, Drink Up, at a bar downtown. Arguing with the whole table of local nerds about this and that, or wherever cinema's concerned. Nowadays, of course, we can't do that, and I'm usually all right with that as a temporary measure. But something about thinking about my timid relationship with this gent just brings all of those feelings flooding back. But he's here today, and that's more than enough for me. He's a movie fan that can usually be found around the Lightbox Lounge, though these days, of course, he's staying home safe like the rest of us. Adrian Wilford is here. How
1: are you, man? ryan i'm great and it's awesome to hear your voice again it's been a <laughs> you, long time
0: yours too i'm i'm really and truly i'm missing a lot of people and just as we creep towards a year of all this mess it's really starting to sink in on episode 254 we will be discussing Land. we'll be flipping the record over to play the other side and learning more about adrian this is know your enemy So Adrian first appeared, as I mentioned in the introduction, on episode 194, where we talked about Alex Garland's Annihilation. We learned on that episode the first film he'd ever seen in a theater was Disney's Tarzan. The last film he'd seen at the time was Before Sunset. The worst film he'd ever seen at the time is Table 19. His unseen classics or essentials were both Rain Man and the Star Wars trilogy i imagine you've seen some of that by now
1: yes i actually have seen the star wars trilogy just last month there, for oh, the first time
0: how did that work out for you
1: it was great it was great I'm, I'm very happy i made time for it
0: glad you enjoyed it and the film he wished he made was all is lost it's time for round two adrian sir what is the movie everybody else seems to hate but you like
1: Okay, this was actually very fun to pause and take a look back at and to find out there's quite an extensive list of of films that people don't seem to like that I happen to love. And they are a combination of box office bombs. They have big budget. And I had to go with Alex Proyas' 2016 film, Gods of Egypt.
0: Oh, boy props there because i have not thought about that film for a hot minute so well done remind people about this uh masterpiece
1: it's like a train wreck and you know what they say you just can't peel your eyes away from it it's it's set in ancient egypt and and we have Nikolai of game of thrones fame a dane playing the egyptian god of the sky and we have a scotsman gerard butler Playing Set, uh, the Egyptian god of, of many things, of violence, of the desert, and and they turn into ancient Egyptian transformers, uh, where they're fully gold-plated automatons, and even their feathers are metal. It's just so bizarre. We have Jeffrey Rush and um, the late uh, Chadwick Boseman in there. It's it's so deliciously ridiculous.
0: Now, when you say like you like it because it's just it's it it's a car crash that you just you always enjoy watching the car crash or like like you would actually you know lead a lead a talk after this movie about its merits
1: <laughs> yeah i i really would and i understand these types of films are the types where people say oh i will turn my brain off and and then i will enjoy it but me uh no switch goes off i think there's so much to take from it there's just so much fun and and you can tell they were not uh, pulling any punches with, with the creation of this wild world. And um, other films that fell under that category that I did not go with was um, Paul Bettany's Priest, <laughs> uh, um, Terminator Salvation, which at one point in my life I watched religiously for some reason. And uh, more recently, um, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. And Oh
0: my lord. <laughs>
1: i had actually brought this up in conversation during one of our pub nights and i remember uh, a few people just looked at me like i was crazy
0: i mean it's it's funny because these big budget movies they still get made you know like there's a lot of resources that get thrown at them there I, I think i always wonder about how they're I wonder about the genesis of some of these. Like, like, you can you can kind of put Terminator aside because that's trying to continue continue a franchise that has been mightily trying to continue for a very long time. But all of these other ones, like Priest and Gods of Egypt and, and um, Valerian, it's you know it's a lot of money time resources and and cooks in the kitchen that look at these things and say yeah we should do this yeah we should do this yeah you've done that well and you know you kind of have to respect just the pure the pure balls to, to keep on going when you've, you when you could probably stop at a great number of points and say i don't think we're doing what we think we're doing
1: there is that awareness i am aware that you know this is a film i know people will not like but I think the main thing is, it brings me back to my childhood. These films, I look at them and I say, you know, Kid Adrian would definitely make a film like this without the thought of critics, without the thought of, oh, what other people might think. Um, it's just pure imagination on the big screen with, with lots of money involved, and that's what makes it look uh, pretty pleasing to the eye.
0: Uh, let's flip the script here. What is the movie that everybody else seems to like but you don't?
1: More recently 2019's uh, The Lighthouse. <laughs> okay. Tell, tell people about this movie because I kind of feel like there's a lot of people
0: out there who actually didn't see The Lighthouse who might listen ah. to the show.
1: It was directed by uh, Robert Eggers who did The Witch and it's about it's a film about two um, lighthouse keepers who were stranded uh, on an island with a lighthouse, and that is pretty much all I can say about it, Brian. I, I did not <laughs> understand what was going on. I have nothing against uh, the way it was shot or the fantastic performances by Willem and uh, and Robert Pattinson, um, but I just it did not click with me for the entire runtime. Uh, these guys are going crazy, and I'm sure there are countless videos out there uh, analyzing the symbolism, the imagery. But personally, right up till the credits rolled, I had no clue what was going on. Right,
0: this is not a movie that I would ever browbeat somebody over not liking because uh, Eggers is very quickly making his bones as a director that likes to test his audience. Like I, he doesn't, he doesn't exactly like throwing spaghetti at the wall the same way that somebody like David Lynch does. But he likes to be really aloof really obtuse really cold like that, that that's the thing i would talk about his movies is they're very very antiseptic and clinical and they look handsome like they, they always look really good but the emotion is dialed down to almost zero and he just wants you to go along for the ride now we're going to talk about a movie that's very low boil um, with our feature but not like this not like movies like the lighthouse where yeah you're just watching black and white imagery of two sailors acting weird i know it's got a lot of love because it's like amongst the kind of people who we hang out with and the kind of people who go to film festivals um it just it really hit a lot of people really really hard but it's it's so strange there's birds there's a mermaid there's some shtuppen of the mermaid there's the like vengeful birds um <laughs> all you know all in Square format, black and white, with like a cast of three.
1: I wouldn't say I'm hard to please, and I do not shy away from films uh, that do challenge you, uh, that are not conventional. And so I really do think uh, it deserves a revisit. I'm a huge fan of The Witch. For now, the lighthouse is is not on my good side.
0: <laughs> Give it another try. I'm always I'm always in favor of that. But uh, if you did get like twenty or thirty minutes into it and say, "Nope, I got it right the first time," I I, I wouldn't blame you. That that's a movie that uh, that needs a little bit of handholding. That's for damn sure. Um, Adrian, what is one of the last movies to make you cry?
1: Well, it's funny because I actually did not uh, recall me saying that the Star Wars trilogy. Was not uh, it was a film that I hadn't seen yet, and uh, the last film to make me cry, just last month in January, was *The Empire Strikes Back*.
0: I ask how only because I'm the opposite of you, in that I can barely remember a time where I did not know that movie.
1: It was just so epic the way the way I saw it, and maybe this isn't the best comparison. This was like to me, this was like the aliens uh, of *The Alien*. Uh, um, franchise uh, the Empire Strikes Back was just so big so much bigger than the first film and uh, the Battle of Hoth just completely captivated me and the rescue at Cloud City these are places I'd seen in uh, the video games mm. uh, but never have actually uh, seen in film and the place where I got misty well see this is my first time and and seeing Luke just go through the ringer the guy can catch a break and it was the the big reveal, the big huh. reveal. Once he finally gets the showdown with with uh, Vader, I choked up. I could not hold it back. I was so moved by it. He really like Hamill
0: just really goes for it in that moment. You know, like he's not trying to be cool. He's not trying to method his way through it. He's just saying like, I am just going to absolutely lose it in this moment. Like I I have been hit with this life changing news. And then just, you know, off he goes. Like, you know, and then he's just got that fall. So, yeah, you're right. I've never really thought about how much it just drains him, that whole movie, So it, to, to get to that moment. So um, I'll be damned. I, it's kind of funny because I would have always thought that, that getting to that moment that the punch had been lessened by now for how much that we know. But you're saying that that punch still hits, like, full force.
1: I, I feel like a lot of people... You- even myself, I did not have to have seen this film to know what that reveal was, but to finally dig deep and I get to see who Luke is and what he's gone through. And especially in that moment, he was so angry. He wanted to come away victorious. And to, to finally, you know, be defeated, but Vader just drops that bomb on him, just extra salt in the wound uh it it really got it really got i'm
0: glad that it still works for you because i i always wonder that you know how these movies hold up now that they're so very much a part of the culture more than they are singular stories or a singular series that really you know the other thing that's kooky is they're not even really and truly designed to play in order because of the way the story unfolds you know if you do watch them one to nine by the time you get to that reveal in five like right at the halfway point you're like yeah we already knew that you know it's 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 a strange it's a strange series but i'm really really glad to hear that it hits you
1: um in the movie of your life sir who plays you this was very interesting to think about i could not find an actor who really looked like me but i guess i wasn't really going for that overall i cast either jesse eisenberg or rami malik (laughs)
0: okay now those are two very different people
1: Uh, um let's let's break this down let's start with eisenberg why him i just see a lot of jesse's nervous energy uh in me um and i especially in my younger self um i was always a ball of nervous energy just the way he's his little mannerisms and the way he's bumbling and i i did speak very fast when i was younger and so that's why i think he would be the perfect casting
0: and why malik
1: i would cast malik as my older self or rather my today self Uh, jesse would play maybe my high school years and rami would play more of my present day self i feel like i don't know rami's just so cool i want to be like him he's he's very he take he seems to take his time with things especially me uh i like to take my time with things and so that's what i drew from this uh, casting
0: a lot of his roles are rather soft spoken you know like i'm thinking more of stuff like mr robot um and did you see buster's malhart did you catch up with that one
1: i did not but i'm i'm familiar with the film
0: yes yeah buckle up it's it's strange um but um you know even like Even his Freddie Mercury, like a lot of the time he was, he played Freddie very, very quiet. You know, like when he was performing, that's a different story. But, uh, you know, and when he's being outlandish at a party, he's he's in full queen mode. But a lot of the other times he's playing him very sad and very, you know, very subdued. And I I mean, he's got those those eyes that are like dinner saucers, right? Um, So he really has a way of drawing the audience in. I kind of feel like he's been kind of maligned after um bohemian rhapsody which i don't think is really fair he's way more talented an actor than what we've been you know led to start shitting on because of a controversy that he got caught up in that had nothing to do with him all right good choices i like though i would definitely see those movies um or that movie if we have you know one actor playing young you and another actor playing old you um last but not least sir what are you watching next
1: Uh, I try to get my hands on The Father. It's an Anthony Hopkins film that released, I believe, last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, I heard some great things about it. Um, But if if it's something that is within reach, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Riz Ahmed's uh, Sound of Metal.
0: Oh, that's such a good movie.
1: The Father is one.
0: I'm still catching up with a lot of the year-end stuff too because we're in a very, very strange year where mm-hmm. a lot of the a lot of the material from one year has been held back because studios thought that something was going to happen and it didn't happen. We're spending the first months, many months of this year still in a kind of hangover from the year before. Like the movie we're talking about now should have been out like back in December, but it's really only going out to the public now. The father is one of those the father is a movie that played festivals um and and it got a lot of acclaim but it really hasn't hit any of the on-demand platforms yet um i mean the sound of metal uh is on demand like i think tiff has it and i'm pretty sure amazon has it but same thing like these are movies that we should have been talking about we should have been arguing at the bar about this in december but here we are going into march almost and they're still just like trickling out. So it's it's a weird year. I've I've seen Sound of Metal. Um loved the holy shit out of it. It's a movie that I'm actually really sad that I didn't get to experience in a theater because the sound of this movie is incredible. Um when you do watch it, um try to give yourself over to it. Um that's I think that's the challenge of this entire time watching these movies at home is really letting them wash over us and get their hooks into us if you have a proper stereo setup for your tv then cool Mm -hmm. if if not if you if you watch tv either on your your laptop or your computer or whatever um plug in some good headphones because the sound design in that movie is incredible
1: yeah it's i i think it showed at tiff um in 2019
0: yeah, either way you go. I haven't seen The Father yet, but I'm really anxious, and I hope to see it soon. Um, sound of Metal, um, I'll be anxious to hear what you, you have to say. And I think either way, you're you're in for good times. And, you know, I mean, while, while I do complain about how we're going months and months and still getting 2020 material, on the other hand, this is usually the time of year where we get crap. So if we're getting... <laughs> the good stuff that was held back i'll i'll take it you know Um, i'm happy to have it and uh happy that you get to see some good stuff well there we go that is more about adrian hopefully we don't take three years to get him back that next time although that seems to be my brand sometimes we have a movie to talk about so come on back right after this we've got the new slang coming up and the new slang for episode 254 is nomadland right after this
1: road again just can't wait to get on the road again the life I love is making music with my friends and I can't wait to get on the road again
0: Nomadland is directed by Chloe Zhao. it's written by Zhao based on the book of the same name by Jessica Brunder it stars Francis McDormand David Strathairn and then a whole bunch of real-life people playing either themselves or versions of other people Nomad Land is about Fern. That's Francis McDormand. Once upon a time, Fern and her husband worked for a mining company in a small Nevada town. Then one day the company closed up. And shortly thereafter, so did the town. Not long after that, Fern lost her husband. Nowadays, Fern is a nomad. She goes where her whimsies take her. She works where and when she can, doing everything from picking orders at Amazon to harvesting turnips. She's easygoing. She makes connections with other strangers easily, sometimes offering a sandwich or a light if they smoke, sometimes just a caring expression and a sympathetic ear. And she lives in her van, commuting with other nomads and just living a simpler life. That's about the size of it. One woman moving around middle America and taking it as it comes. When we talked about this movie on the podcast during tiff kurt halfyard brought up a scene in bernardo bertolucci's the sheltering sky that talks about the difference between tourists and travelers kurt used it as an example as the sort of filmmakers that attend tiff but i believe it's also an apt thought to apply to nomadland as a film tourists may approach this movie and come away from it with one feeling while travelers may not want to come away from it at all. So pop quiz, Hotshot, where Nomadland is concerned. Were you a tourist or a traveler?
1: While I'm not a traveler myself, I was, on an emotional level, I would go down the traveler route. Um, I think at first I was a tourist. Uh, The first time I had seen this film, I had seen it as a road film, as a film where... Chloe opened my eyes to a lifestyle, the, the lifestyle of a modern nomad uh, that I was not familiar with. But upon revisiting the film, um, it was a very deeply moving uh, character study of, of Fern, who happens to be now one of my favorite uh, characters in recent memory.
0: It, it's, it's beautiful to kind of see how you, you had an evolution with this film Uh, because i I love when a movie can do that when you go back and you go in a little deeper and you go in a little deeper it's it's one of those things where you know you start reading more and more books by a particular author and then you turn you wake up one day and it's like man I, i i guess i'm a fan i was a traveler with this movie from the word go it's strange to be talking about it on this show as a full review because we already did a a a tiff matinee cast talking about the experience of seeing it during the film festival and then we we mentioned it on the year end show where i talked about it as my favorite film of the year and now we're we're getting into it (laughs) proper because now everybody else is going to get to see it so now it's worth talking about it for for you know 30 minutes or so you know i always sit down to a film wanting to enjoy it i've never sat down to a film in in you know Really, just hoping to hate it I, I find that that's a really disingenuous way to to engage with your art but i i always sit down and hoping to enjoy it um chloe Zhao really um endeared herself to me with her last film the rider so i came in a little bit extra primed and mm-hmm. from the moment her camera opens up onto those really vast uh, landscapes and the, that sky that's just so huge and these people who traverse it and seem so small you know in comparison like we all are just tiny 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 people and this planet but it was, it was for some reason when you get away from the city when you get away into really open land and really gigantic sky these people seem so much smaller and Ja has a way of of really encapsulating that i was hooked i was i was traveling with this movie wherever it wanted to go whether it was going to you know a greasy spoon to work or whether it was going to this little ymca dance hall to to have like a saturday night social i was definitely traveling with it
1: going back to what you said about uh, the evolution of my enjoyment of this film i think again my first watch uh it paints a picture where you have what Chloe has presented to you on the screen. And it's so easy to say, uh, to look at this film and say, oh, look at my life. Look at what I have um, and what these people don't. And I feel like that's such a surface level assessment of the film. And I caught myself. Um, I'm, I told myself that it can't be the only thing I take away from it. That I will walk away saying, wow, I, I won't take things for granted um, and so, again, upon uh, watching it a second time, um, it truly moved me to see uh, Fern, who has this, what we assume is an icy exterior uh, that slowly thaws out and, and it, the film is peppered with, with lots of warm and, and beautiful moments that that, quite frankly, flew over my head the first time. And so I would say that I did love it even more than i did the first watch
0: i was surprised actually a lot of the times when i come away from a film so blown away and so over the moon and, and driving everybody crazy with how much i recommend it because i'm that guy who doesn't <laughs> shut up about a movie for months i expected to look at it and start to see the cracks you know i i expected to look at it and start to see flaws that i had papered over or turned a blind eye to and it's not that movie it's not a movie that's really interested in making a gigantic statement there's a lot of undercurrents in this movie of being Uh anti-capitalist but it never wails on that idea you know like it's it's talked about now and then um and and people come in like for and against the idea but it i would never say that this is the kind of movie that really is going to be run up the flagpole as an anti-capitalist manifesto you know it's really more about people on this planet uh, in in america right now and watching these people connect watching how people have conversations in an age that we don't actually have a whole lot of conversations. You know, we are very much lost in our headphones and lost in our screens and not talking to other people on our lunch breaks or on our way into work or on our way out of work. Or certainly, you know, sometimes when we're hanging out around a table, we don't actually talk to one another. And this is a movie that's very much about people connecting people listening people talking people sharing their stories far more than it really wants to make any kind of a political point
1: the whole anti-capitalist thing it it is touched upon in the film uh albeit very briefly um but what i took away from it were it's it's great themes of of self-reflection of um, self-realization uh of closure of of moving forward and And the biggest one, uh, what the word home uh, means. Throughout the film, uh, home comes up a lot. And uh, I actually wrote down uh, some of my uh, favorite quotes. Uh, There is a scene at the beginning of the film where Fern is working at Amazon, at an Amazon warehouse, I believe. And uh, somebody reads off uh, the tattoo on her arm. And it says, uh, home isn't a word. Uh, It's something you carry within and uh, it, it just rings through uh, throughout the film shortly after uh, she runs into a woman uh, at the uh, hardware store a woman with her daughters and uh, the daughter who uh, is revealed that uh, fern had tutored this uh, girl uh, the girl says hey my mom said uh, you're homeless and uh, fern responds with i'm not homeless i'm houseless and so it just it made me think, it made me pause, and I think that's, that's a sign of a great film, when it makes you think, uh, what is home, and what is home to you? And we, we get to see Fern realize uh, what home truly means to her.
0: This is a movie that, one of its first shots, is Fern going through some stuff in a, in a storage locker you know it's clear that she's emptied out whatever whatever house she had before and we do eventually come back to that house but she's emptied out what she absolutely did not need like she she did that purge and then she boxed up a bunch of stuff and put it into a typical storage locker um and she's kind of going she's kind of picking through it but we're looking at stuff and we're seeing just how just how little she needs to be happy to live and i don't know about you but when i saw like those shots of kind of that that faded sweatshirt that she grabs and certainly those plates i i thought to myself i was like you know i got a lot of crap hanging around this apartment that i would probably (laughs) have a hard time thinking okay do i need this do i need this do i need that you know like that seeing her um Commit to something so much simpler, and 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 saying this is enough for me. I I found that beautiful, and like you said, and certainly does emphasize that idea of home. That home for her is not four walls and a roof where you keep your shit. Home for her is a feeling, is a community, is is a a, you know a, a very small safe spot. Uh, in, in a very, very big world. And it
1: ties in beautifully with uh, with the end of the film. I think it's there's sort of parallels where she does revisit the uh, the storage in which she's keeping those things. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, it is. It, like, this film does like to fold back on to itself a few times over. I mean, it's kind of amusing that the jumping-off point of this story is a town in Nevada called Empire <laughs> that literally fell. Like, Empire actually exists there is actually a town called empire nevada uh it's now a ghost town but it's it's amazing that in 20th century america this company went you know went and built their built their 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 fortunes and called the city empire and before the century was out it had it had actually fallen and that we have to go back there and see just kind of the state of this shuttered empire it's 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 a really neat trick frances mcdormand of course is just a legendary actress she was doing something special in this movie
1: like i said it's it's seen uh throughout the film uh at the very beginning if you are not thinking too deeply into it uh we can assume fern is uh, a cold character uh that um she is she's we can assume that she's angry we can assume somebody has burned her in the past. Um, but as the film progresses, uh, we see she's not as cold as we might have thought. She, she's, a very, she's very reluctant to accept help, um, but her character willingly and happily gives help uh, wherever she is. I just think it, it was beautiful to see those walls come down and almost prove me wrong. Mm-hmm. who this character was
0: she's a tough woman you know like she's got a demeanor and uh you know like an expression that is kind of like don't mess with me you know and, and because over time far too many people have messed with her and usually come out worse for wear um so it's it's the kind of thing that just kind of comes part and parcel with francis mcdormand and fern as uh as, as a character embodies a lot of that because of the, of the kind of work she does right like she's when she's working she's a blue collar worker like she it's it's funny because at one point she does go looking for an office gig she she goes looking for a job because she says like she's like i like to work she's like it's not about you know what i what i can do and what i can't do it's the fact that i, I prefer to be working and let me tell you uh not working for almost a year uh that that uh conversation had a different resonance with me watching this movie this time of of saying you know it's it's not about money i like to work and i like to feel that validation um so she goes looking for white collar work but generally speaking she spends most of this movie doing uh blue collar jobs whether it's you know shucking turnips around or uh, you know, cleaning bathrooms or or uh, flipping burgers or, or working at Amazon, she's always very very much a woman of the people. So that goes with it. You know, like those kinds of jobs, you're usually a little bit tougher. You, you don't look at somebody, you know, shoveling turnips in and out of a truck and think, here's somebody I can have a conversation with about Tarkovsky movies. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Every time that the the camera stays with her and we follow her away from work or we sit on sit in on her lunch hour or we watch how she interacts she warms up like we we warm up with her when she certainly when she listens when you can see how content she is to listen to other people's stories um and and you know when she's so generous with everything from i have an extra sandwich to you know how you're really sick how can
1: i help you and one scene that really moved me. It was a very, very small scene, and it it is a small gesture, but I took away a lot from it. Uh, She takes an odd job uh, at some sort of rock place where she's uh, collecting rocks and making sure they're organized by color or type. Uh, A couple comes by, and they are trying to sell handmade jewelry. And the reason why they are doing this is because they need to earn some gas money. And Fern brings over her her employer and and says, Hey, take a look at this and she even brings the jewellery up to her neck and like, hey, this is some good stuff. Really, you have to wonder, did Fern have to do that? That's sorta of that warmer side finally breaking through and you could tell you can tell throughout the film, especially with these gestures of warmth, especially when Fern celebrates New Year's Eve in spirit with a headband and a sparkler, even though she's alone. Yeah. Um, you can tell that, you know, maybe she wasn't always this, this steely-faced character. Uh, something happened, and we do eventually figure out what happened. And she comes to this realization with a very moving conversation at the end of the film. Um, but we can tell that uh, that is, we're getting glimpses of what I believe is the real Fern. It's a wonderful piece of acting.
0: Um, you know, you, you would think that now, oh geez, almost 40 years into her uh, on screen career, that we had seen everything that Frances McDormand could give us by now. But she really still finds ways to surprise us, even if it's surprising us by playing a woman. Who really and truly a lot of us have met. And I think that's the real achievement of this of this performance is giving that woman so much poetry and so much beauty when really and truly it's the kind of person who a lot of us would probably not pay that much attention to you know she's not flashy she's not outspoken she's she's the kind of person who you know i, I don't see a whole lot of little girls putting up a poster of Nomad Land <laughs> on their bedroom wall but at the same time she is just such a complete human being that you rarely see on film um chloe ja uh i don't know how much of her other films you've seen already but i'm just so in awe of this woman's talent
1: i i have seen uh, the rider in theaters and it hit me like a truck songs
0: my brother taught me was kind of something that was a little bit lower boil as many first features are but her last two films they were movies that she very easily could have like turned on the camera and just let everything fall where it may But she's approaching the subject, these these subject, these working class people, these middle Americans with like so much poetry, so much visual splendor that you usually would not associate with these kinds of people and just has nothing but time and patience to really let their stories ring true we're not watching stories about batman here we're watching stories about people who we who we've met you know at some point or another we've met people like the characters in most of her movies i say that as you know knowing full well that she's about to direct a marvel movie but the, the her stories she gives them just every bit of cinematic language that there is and i think that's really something special to watch um coming from this director It's
1: funny that you threw in Batman and then did mention uh, her, her it's endlessly fascinating to me that uh, she has been tapped on the shoulder by um, Marvel Studios, and so it's an, it's not where I thought she would be heading but i'm I'm rooting for her, and I hope whatever she puts out uh, is amazing
0: yeah it's it's funny because. You know, in normal times, uh, we, you know, the end of 2020, uh, where Chloe Zhao is concerned, would have been this, this strange um, scales tipping back and forth between this great big commercial venture and this small little passion project. And because of the way the world unfolded, the great big franchise picture has been put on a shelf you know giving us full attention and time to her passion project like I, I i actually think it's it's kind of fortuitous in that way that the waters aren't muddy and that we're really paying attention to to the project of hers that speaks more of her visual language um you know the one thing i do need to ask though because a lot of people will be coming to this movie with its award possibilities coming up and with people like us talking this movie up there's going to be a lot of people who kind of flip on demand and and you know drop whatever it is 10 or 20 bucks to watch nomadland is this film too subtle like are we watching a film where very little happens
1: you know it ties in with uh your initial uh, point about uh, uh tourist and and traveler while this is moving and it's poignant and it's there's there's so much packed into it that both you and I have appreciated. Um, I don't know how accessible it will be, or I'd really like for people to give it a chance. Don't get me wrong. Um, I feel like, especially during this strange time, with the big Marvel project that everybody seems to have their eyes on, um, it gives this film time to breathe. Like, Let it have its time to shine. Give it a chance. I don't think it's too subtle at all, and I think there's so much going on here that um, you can put side by side with your own life and your own experiences. Um, I think I urge people <laughs> to give it a shot, you know, it
0: like we're talking about a movie that I, I don't really get myself to worked up over what does and does not win awards because there's so much to that that is is out of the control of artistic merit but we are talking about a movie that stands a good chance in two months and it's crazy to think that we're still two months away from this um Mm. of being called the best picture of 2020 and when it carries with it that label um there will be people who find it on their tv and i'm i am very happy that people are going to be able to find this on their tv um you know because a lot of times movies that are up for best picture or win best picture don't always play in in everybody's corner of the world um but they will click on this thinking okay i am about to watch the best film of 2020 and and they're gonna watch you know a community of nomads talking about which bucket is best to shit in and maybe wonder what they've got themselves into it's subtlety will play well on the small screen. And I say that as a person who so far has only seen this on a small screen and may only Mm -hmm. ever see this on a small screen. Um, You know, I I just kind of like what I was saying to you earlier about sound of metal. It's kind of what it, what it may depend on is if people give it their attention, if people drift in and out and poke around on their phone and whatnot, they may not get to the real ideas of home and community that we're talking about but I, I think that it stands a chance it's it is a subtle movie we're not talking about a french woman peeling potatoes for five minutes you know what i'm <laughs> saying i think that this movie has enough going on that people will be able to attach i wanted to talk about the fact that most of the characters in this movie are real people because uh, that could have been a, an experiment that would have backfired
1: it's it's just so funny to see how great these performances turned out and I didn't go into f- this film knowing uh, that these weren't uh, trained actors; uh, that these were actual modern-day nomads. I think it really added to the authenticity of the film, not because of the way they went about their activities or or the way they went about their lives. It's just it's just so authentic uh, the way they emote, and they really felt like <laughs> friends of. Francis at at some point, I felt like I was peering into some real stuff, and we were in a sense, um, and it, it totally worked out for me. Uh, it was less distracting having familiar faces, but at the same time, uh, they really put up some great performances.
0: I felt like I met these people.
1: I, yes. I think that that was that was the biggest thing.
0: Is aside from David Strathairn, who's the only other. Real recognizable face, and I mean, even then, I wager if you you know you get like ten people who go to a multiplex on a typical Saturday night and ask them if they could pick David Strathairn out of a lineup, I, I dare you to, to give me more than five. They may know him as a that guy, but besides those two people, besides Strathairn and McDormand, everybody else, I feel like they're people who I've met before, and. Ja does this a lot she loves using real people in her in her work she obviously has a way of communicating with them and uh getting them to give her something that is not uh stiff that's very very down to earth and and surrounding them with actors that can act that way as well and it it gives a beautiful result you know it gives the kind of thing that you don't always see. It's it's funny because a lot of the media that we consume these days, a lot of the television and a lot of the online content, we are watching a lot more so-called normal people uh-huh. than we are actors. You know, in this in this age of, of things like YouTube and, and nonfiction television, and yet the idea of putting real people into a movie still seems so foreign.
1: And I, I haven't done deep research into the film, and I understand there's definitely a script uh, behind the film, but I wonder, there are certain moments where they're telling stories about, um, around a fire, or just some of the little quips that they say, I wonder how much of them are actually drawing from their own experiences. Uh, uh, nothing really felt right off the page. Uh, again, the the relationship between these characters, are, it's so organic. and. Um, I feel like they're almost spilling their life onto the screen for the sake of this film.
0: Yeah, I I haven't read the book yet. Uh, You know, if you know me, you could probably guess that I I do want to read it eventually. Um, And I haven't read the script, so I don't know how much of the movie from scene to scene is on the page and how much of it was... Ja and McDorman going from point to point, saying, "What are we going to talk about?" You know, and and knowing what they need to talk about to 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 make their to make this story work, it's entirely possible that a lot of what we see is just listening to these people because if these people aren't actors, to hear them talk, like to hear the gentleman talk um, late in this movie about. Remembering about remembering um, his son and the importance of that because what's remembered continues to live. To hear people talk about getting sick and about losing their jobs and that kind of thing, none of it felt clunky, none of it felt rehearsed, none of it felt like it was take three or take four like all of it felt very very natural which leads me to believe that it's natural because it's natural you know what i'm saying like that these people just got to these stories in their own way so i would be curious to see the script and and or compare it to the book and see how much what we hear and see in this movie is on the page
1: i'm i hope and i'm sure that you've drawn from this as well it's uh, fern's final conversation uh, with with Bob Wells, who is the uh, leader of this nomad community, uh, she has a conversation in which she she quotes her father, uh, saying, "What's remembered lives." Mm-hmm. And and Fern goes on to reveal that you know her husband didn't have, he didn't know his parents, and uh, they didn't have any children together. And uh, my favorite line of the film, she follows up by saying, "I may have spent." too much of my life remembering. And for me, Ryan, uh, the third act of the film is the most important for me. If it sticks the landing, uh, that is the, the ribbon on top of the present. And hmm. it, was, it was just, a, for me, it was perfect release. It's, I saw it as Fern sort of coming to terms. Hey, uh, I've been refusing all of this help from people I've I've been declining social advancements and invitations, and and I've continued this lifestyle. Not I wouldn't say necessarily because uh, she needed to, but I feel like she was most likely just trying to keep the memory of uh, her husband alive. And after that conversation, uh, I believe she she finally goes back to the storage and. Is it she gets rid of what's there? Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like we've, we finally reached that point where Fern accepts, I think I've been doing this for too long for the wrong reason, but I need to move forward.
0: It's a brave choice to make. And it was something I was going to bring up because when you get to a story like this, um, I've brought up on this show in the past how much it rubs me the wrong way when I watch uh, films like Into the Wild and um, Free Solo and movies where people of higher ideals shed off privilege and shed off offers of charity because they supposedly want to live a truer existence. This movie could have been another one of those. This movie very easily could have been another you know piece of nomadic porn trying to play up the the virtue of living in a van wherever it happens to take you but this movie a few times over may, like lays direct question on that and fern at one point has to say to her sister you know i fully recognize that i have turned my back on a lot of people that i made a choice but my choice was not without consequence and i have to fully admit that here and now um the film didn't have to do that you know this film could have been another one on the line like captain fantastic or leave no trace and all these movies that love to play up the poetry of living off the grid but this movie by as you say Giving Fern that moment of reckoning that she may have been doing this for the wrong reasons and she may have even been hiding, you know, and that she has closed herself off from people out in the world who care about her. And it's, and, and and you don't have to anymore. If you want to go, like, if you want to be houseless, you can be houseless, but you can't be houseless and be, you know, you're a nomad, you're not a hermit, (laughs) you know um i feel that that's where this movie really earns a lot of its praise
1: Mm -hmm. and you you see that slow development especially with her relationship uh with dave a a fellow nomad that she meets on the way and he is he's quite persistent uh with his his kind gestures and his his willingness to help her uh breaking a prized possession of her uh in the process um But slowly it chips away, and slowly, you know, she spends some time with him. She takes care of him when he's sick. Um, Even with every decline of uh, invitation that he gives her, he keeps going. He finally gets her to spend Thanksgiving with him. At least I like to believe it sort of helped her notice, like, hey, you know, this isn't so bad. And things don't have to be the way that I've been doing
0: See, and what I really like about that, too, is this is one of those instances where I look at the woman who directed this movie, the woman who wrote the screenplay and wrote the original book um, and who shepherded this movie and thought to themselves, how can I make a man in this world persistent without getting into badgering and harassment You know, that's because that's the thing is like we are learning day and day and day. We're learning just how much a lot of that tenacity that we grew up thinking was totally cool between men and women or romantic or, or, you know, whatever determined whatever word you want to use was really a shit thing to do. So it's like, how can you politely and consistently offer out invitation and offer out companionship and community without crossing that line and that's where i think mcdormand and ja and you know whatever they gleaned out of Br- Bruter's book that's where i think that their guidance is really key in keeping him on the right side of manners
1: i think he doesn't even come close to that line i think he's such a wonderful character and everything that he does and, and tries to do for Fern, always keeping her in consideration. And yeah. it, it, it goes from one, at the very start, the first gesture I can think of is, I think he got her some licorice sticks to help uh, curb her smoking habit. And <laughs> yeah. she's she thanks him, but she's clearly not for it. She's, she's like, not abused. yeah. She's, she's like, who does this guy think he is? And yeah. towards, uh, like, much later on in the film, After, you know, he's finally gotten her to warm up, I think she shows up at his place for, or rather his family's place for Thanksgiving, and he asks for her bags, which is not something Fern at the beginning of this film would ever allow anybody to take from her, even just to carry for her. And she allows it to happen, and I think there's a a brilliant moment of surprise between these two amazing actors. We close out every review here on the matinee
0: cast with a souvenir something tangible or intangible if you could take away from this movie and keep you would it's a nomadic lifestyle man so there's not a whole lot to take it's it's all about living simply but if you could take something from Nomadland and keep it uh sir what would be your your souvenir
1: i chose uh two things one tangible and one intangible all right um the tangible thing uh it might be an obvious choice but it's a uh, fern's uh, graduation plate set I, I really adored the appreciation she had for uh, that item and you were you're made to care for a plate set you were made to believe how much this means to her, especially the moment they go crashing onto the ground
0: yeah it's it's funny because like it, this movie really makes you feel when things aren't as they should be like the moment that she turns the truck's engine and it stalls mm. that's the moment where you're like oh shit like ordinarily you probably wouldn't think twice about it but knowing that that's basically like somebody's furnace going out you know you really do feel So same thing like knowing how much she's got you know she's kept so little already when she cherry picks through her locker and she picks those plates you know what they mean to her yeah. so when you see them break you're like ah oh, crap it's it's it is charming to see her fix them and I, I say that as somebody who's fixed a whole lot of things this year <laughs> um what was and you said you had an intangible as well
1: yeah it's uh the score the score for this film it it's not too overbearing and it, it happens uh, i'd say periodically i guess but it's just so so simple and and beautiful the, the piano and the strings and they always hit at the right time so i would like if uh you know i'm having a moment with my dog or taking a stroll through the city to have that exact same score play
0: what i like about that score is that it's not the typical score that i would associate with this movie like i tend to look at a film like this and imagine acoustic guitar you know (laughs) um i I tend to i tend to think about that score from um brokeback mountain Uh, like that's the kind of score i think about when i think about like a middle america romantic poetry movie Mm -hmm. um this is this thinks i mean you know kind of befitting everything else about this movie this it goes just a little grander but not so much that it it doesn't suit um the 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 film and i'm really glad that i can finally listen to it because when it when i first got to see it back at tiff um the score was nowhere to be had so now that it's finally trickling down i'm really really excited (sighs) my souvenir is intangible as well Um, my souvenir is fern reciting shakespeare Ah, you know i i i have an affinity for poetry i have a deep affinity for people who can recite poetry from memory um francis francis mcdormand has an incredible narrating voice an incredible speaking voice um and i love hearing her um recite shall i compare these to a summer's day i love the idea that that is offered as a gift you know because you don't it's not the kind of thing that happens it happened once upon a time you know like the <laughs> Um, I you'd hear people like talking about, oh, they you know they, they they recited a prayer for me or they recited a poem for me and I'll I'll never forget mm-hmm. what it sounded like or how they it's it's not something that comes up very often but it, it's such a beautiful moment in this movie and such actually just kind of a throwaway moment like it doesn't linger on it it doesn't play up the cinematic value it just lets it happen and, and lets you carry it with you and and it's it's something i've carried with me ever since i saw the movie the first time and certainly since i rewatched it um for this show uh, I, i'm sure people can kind of see where we're coming down uh, in terms of a score for this movie but we do end every review on the matinee cast with a score uh, of one to four um adrian chloe jazz nomad land what do you give this movie
1: I'm going to have to give it a pristine four. Absolutely.
0: I I have said a few times over that this was the best movie I saw last year. Nothing has changed that. In a year that I should say had a lot of fantastic movies, it doesn't seem so because we got far less than we normally did, but the ones that had the huevos to put themselves out there um, for, for a lesser take, a lot of them were unbelievably beautiful and human and so so touching this being the most of all of those listen maybe you think I'm nuts maybe you come (laughs) away from this movie and you think that nothing happens and we're all talking out of our butts. Maybe you think I'm not talking this movie up enough, and that it's you know one of the great masterpieces of the century. Let me know Ryan at the Matinee.ca Twitter, or I'm Matinee underscore CA or Facebook.com/slash Dark Matinee. What do you think of Chloe nomad Nomadland? We are going to take a very quick break and come back right after this to talk about some more movies. So come on back, won't you? matinee cast 254 he's adrian i'm ryan we've been talking about nomadland a film that uh you know we've seen a few times and other people are still waiting to see but That's the way of the world these days. This is the other side. It's the moment where we flip the record over, talk about some companion films you can watch if you want to watch something that maybe speaks to you a little bit more or maybe gives you an an ideal double feature. Adrian, why don't you get us started? What's a movie that uh, you thought about going on to... Let's see, once again, if you can nail me with a movie that I in my moment of saying I'm done with blind spots, possibly haven't seen. Um, what's a, what's a movie that you would like to go on to after Chloe Zhao's latest film?
1: I have a feeling you, you probably have seen this one. Famous last words. man. My, my first pick is going on the far side of the spectrum when comparing it to Nomadland, quite a palate cleanser in terms of dialing up a, uh, the intensity of 10. I went with David Lynch's wild at heart.
0: (laughs) Okay. I have seen that. So (laughs) thank you. Thank
1: you for, for being merciful to me. Um, why that one? I just think, uh, again, at face value, without diving too deep, both are rote films. And, uh, that's pretty much the only thing they have in common. When I look at wild at heart, uh, I just see the complete opposite where uh, everything is said. It's all about do, do, do it's loud. It's brash. Um, It's the complete opposite of this film. So I think in a sense it would be, it would be interesting uh, to see them uh, back to back.
0: That might be give me whiplash (laughs) as a double feature to, to watch those two movies back to back. It's also funny because I look at the cast for wild at heart and it's such the opposite of, um, of Land where we just have the two semi-recognizable actors and then a whole bunch of real people. Mm-hmm. Wild at Heart, you've got you know, Nicolas Cage, Laura Dern, Willem Dafoe, Crispin Glover, Diane Ladd, Isabella Rossellini. You've got this list of people that goes and goes and goes and goes, you know, versus the other movie where it's a whole bunch of nobodies. You know, I do like that they're both um, middle America-type yes. movies, you know. Um, I One movie that I really do need to catch up with that i thought you were going with and maybe for all i know you are still um is um i was thinking about david lynch's the straight story
1: oh you know ryan i've been dying to see that i don't know how to get my hands on that one
0: (laughs) yeah no me neither but i thought when you mentioned david lynch i actually thought that's what you that's where you were going because that one has (laughs) kind of that more um yes
1: yeah i'm familiar that that, that kind of thing
0: but um i mean you know i while the other thing i do love about wild at heart is that was that was a film that i got to see in lightbox so when it comes to oh, experiencing wow. a david lynch film and experiencing an over-the-top um nicholas cage performance uh you know where, where every half hour or so he needs to remind you about his jacket um <laughs> that's that's a kind of environment i want to be in and the kind of environment i do hope to one day see nomadland in i'm 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 gonna count on that being a when not an if because they really seem to love that movie and when things get back up to normal i can't see how they wouldn't show nomadland on a big screen as soon as they can well my first movie i i did go uh for something far subtler and i kind of referenced it earlier this is a film that i saw uh for the first time last year i've been watching a lot of films lately by Chantel ackerman and i did think about jean dillman 23 k uh, de commerce 1080 brussels it's again the potato peeling movie so <laughs> you know this movie it's it's long this movie is 201 minutes wow. um 1975 and it stars uh, delphine Seyrig, who is a single mom uh and you're basically watching her over the course of three days just mostly go about her life you know she cleans she cooks she eats she talks to her son she also happens to be something of a call girl like she has men come over to her house and has sex with them um this is famously the movie where we watch her peel potatoes for an absurd amount of time you know yeah this movie is 200 minutes so it's you know it's got time to spare but it's the kind of thing that's not done in cinema of watching somebody tend to a chore for that long and yet i expected to get bored like i expected to be wailing on the fast forward button and kind of Mm -hmm. uh being angry with myself that i didn't see this in a theater where i had nowhere to go um but i i kept getting caught up in the gentle poetry of her errands and her tasks and her chores um and and you know, spending a few days with this woman who, again, is like a woman I, I could have met somewhere out in the world. Um, and surprisingly, I was rewarded with something shocking in the middle of this movie. That if somebody hasn't seen this movie, I don't want to actually give it away because I was not expecting it. I expected it kind of like Nomad Land just to be this slice of life movie that I was just going to spend some time with Jean Delman and you know let her go at the end of it but no no there is something that was just like so stunning in the midst of this story that i actually had to rewind to make sure i had just seen what i thought i saw
1: have you seen this one no no but i'm very familiar again uh just within our circle of uh of film watchers so (laughs) i've heard many things about it the i do have to admit the runtime did scare me away don't get me wrong like i'm i'm a patient
0: person but a movie that's o- that's over three hours, two hundred one minutes. Mm-hmm. Do the math. That's that's an ask, you know. And and mm-hmm. uh, even now, while we're at home and we're on our couch and whatever, you know, that we can be comfortable watching this. Like we're at least not asking you to go to a theater and sit for three hours. It's still it's still an ask. But I I believe it's worth it. I believe like kind of like we were saying with tourists and travelers, I believe that if you take this travel, you know, if you if you don't. Go into it as a tourist, automatically thinking about when you're going to go home, that it will reward you with an experience and something that you'll see. In other movies, it's not exactly the first Chantel Ackerman movie that I would point somebody towards, and if somebody was cobbling together like a blind spot list, this is what I'd say for like round five or round six. Don't start with this one, but I I, I was surprised at how much value um, and how much impact this movie actually had, and and how well it suits something like Nomadland. What's the other movie you had as a as an other side to go along with Chloe Zhao's latest film?
1: I went with uh, John Carroll Lynch's Lucky. 2017 film have you seen it i don't think i have with uh harry dean stanton
0: no i definitely haven't oh. okay I, I remember i remember seeing like images about that and i think that was stanton's last film wasn't it
1: it might be that's right yeah it might be okay tell me about this movie uh well like uh some people might come to this film and think there's not much going on i think that is what uh that might link nomadland not that i think nothing is going on in nomadland as i've said but uh it's just about a man who goes by the name of lucky and he he's very old and uh you know he's struggling uh just with his day-to-day activities he just comes to terms with okay you know uh my life may be coming to an end soon and so he just sets out and uh tries to look for for something, for, for a reason, for, for something to sort of wrap, up, wrap things up before he, he goes. And uh, I thought of Lucky, I'd only seen the film once, but it does have the sort of the western uh, setting, I can't quite recall where it takes place, but there is a lot of desert and, and um, the pace of the film and how quiet it is really made me think uh, of this film after watching Land
0: stanton's got that look about him right like he he especially late in his career like the high def cameras were picking up every (laughs) line in his face he had that incredible voice that incredible speaking voice and had the presence that he could make even like a two-line appearance Mm -hmm. in a marvel movie uh something memorable um it's he, he always played every man. Like, I, you know, even when he was there, were roles I'm sure where he was playing something flashier over the course of his career because he was in a lot of stuff. But generally speaking, he played that very down to earth type of dude. If he was alive, I totally would have expected to see him turn up in Nomad Land. Yep, you, you've definitely reminded me that I still need to see Lucky. Um, it's, you know, one of those ones that just kind of lingered on a 2C list. You're you're all over Letterboxd. You know how long that to-watch list can grow. Um, mm-hmm. Well, my last one, I did latch on to the admittedly mild, uh, certainly could have been far more overt, anti-capitalist message that is baked into Nomadland, and I wanted to think about other anti-capitalist movies. But ones that don't... Make you angry, make you feel like you're eating your vegetables, make you want to storm the Bastille. I tried to think about something that's anti capitalist and still has some warmth. And I went way back. I went all the way back to 1936 to Charlie Chaplin's Modern Times. Have you ever seen that one?
1: I think you got me with both films. Hey, seen that. Yeah, right. so <laughs> most
0: people know this one as the film where Charlie Chaplin gets caught in the machine. Um, you, you often see clips making the rounds of the scene where the tramp um, is working on an assembly line and actually gets pulled into the gears of the machine. Um, and if you haven't seen it, uh, I wager it's on YouTube. Check the no- the show notes of this episode, and I'll do my best to include a snippet, um, whatever I can find, into the show notes of this episode. I have an affinity for modern times. For a while, I actually had it as my my cell phone case. Um, you know, I had I had the tramp and the gears on the back of my case. But what I love about this movie is, while it came out at a time where, you know, capitalism now is not doing great, we've had a year where we've really clearly understood who is making how much money at whose expense in a capitalist society but we forget that when capitalism first broke through in the early part of the 20th century that conditions in north america and the west were even worse that you know the child labor was still a thing and that uh you know a 40-hour week was not an idea and that you know efficiency 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 henry ford's assembly line was just the way right for a few people mm-hmm. to make money on the backs of a whole lot of other people Chaplin, being as brilliant as he was found all of these ideas and all of these contradictions within capitalism and so-called modern times and found a way to make them funny found a way to make them amusing found a way to make them still poignant and still powerful but just so absurd right so this is the movie where there's a machine to feed the employee lunch quicker so that you don't waste time. This Mm -hmm. is the movie where he gets trapped in the gears. And there's so much charm in this movie. There's, there's a moment where Chaplin actually does like a singing routine. When it was a silent movie, they would have like played the record at that point. But it's just really charming, upbeat little song and dance in the middle of this movie. There's a moment where he's a a, a night watchman in a department store Mm -hmm. and he's like roller skating around. Um, It's, it's such a, a wonderful, Uh, smart funny uh, time capsule of another era that I believe holds up and I mean we're closing in on this thing being 100 years old you know 1936 2036 is not that far away and it's still so fresh so charming so amusing so universal because I mean you know it's mostly a silent film with like a little bit of dialogue in it um that you could show it anywhere and you know, at its heart, has this anti-capitalist message, without belaboring the point.
1: Okay, looks like I have some homework to do. I will prioritize that one. The opposite of
0: nomadland where you really need to kind of zero in and focus it's the kind of thing where you can you know just kind of chill out and enjoy a little laugh it's not very long this one's like less than 90 minutes there are far worse things nowadays than spending some time with charlie chaplin if, if nobody's seen a chaplin movie it's a really good gateway drug to get into how he works and how his gags work um and yeah and damn the man because anti-capitalism there we go that is episode 254 of the matinee cast i'm so thankful adrian came by come on back on monday march 1st for episode 255 we're coming back on short rest to do a special episode where we will be discussing judas and the black messiah you these days are um mostly on letterbox but you're on twitter a little bit as well where can people follow you on either or both
1: yeah both my twitter handle and on letterbox is alderwar Uh, letterbox i do write some blurbs mostly just personal things personal things that i gather from the films so you can find me there
0: a-l-d-r-w-a-r uh what is who is your icon picture because that keeps tripping me up every time i see it
1: currently that one is anna de armas
0: ah yes of course okay now i see it so I'm, I'm i'm surprised like i mean you've got your banner from uh, portrait of a lady on fire so i'm surprised it's not one of them but i mean there's only so far you can go with the brand i, I totally get this um thank you again for coming by my site is thematinee.ca for more audio content you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting you can also find them in the old familiar places google spotify pocketcast stitcher radio blueberry and apple and you can find them in some new places tune in radio public Castbox, and pod chaser everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop feedback on nomad land can be left in the comment section of the site you can email ryan at thematinee.ca on twitter i am matinee underscore ca or there's always facebook facebook.com slash dark matinee
1: any final thoughts buddy uh, it was just great to hear from you ryan and i bid you the best with your movie watching endeavors and i hope i can share a view with you soon hopefully man i'm i'm, I'm hopeful that the
0: uh that things start turning around and that we can sit in light box lounges again and sit in bars and have arguments again and talk about why you're wrong about gods of egypt uh but that'll <laughs> obviously have to wait for adrian i'm ryan i'll see you at the matinee